Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. So glad that you're joining us today for the Monday broadcast. I'm so excited about the broadcast today uh, because I'm going to talk about one of my favorite subjects, and it is a subject that uh, I know everyone is familiar with, and everybody knows what worship is, Uh, but let's spend a little bit of time talking about what the Bible says about worship. Now, before we go too far, I always like to uh, kind of get myself warmed up and get those who are listening to me warmed up by telling a really bad dad joke. And so here's my really bad dad joke because uh, I want to have a a light heart as we begin a tough subject today. And uh, I want to ask you this question. What do you call a sleepwalking nun? What do you call a sleepwalking nun? Well, here's the answer. A Roman Catholic, R-O-A-M-I-N, Catholic. And so anyway, uh, that's our really bad dad joke to get us started today. But we're talking about worship. You know, everybody is worshiping something, right? You don't have an option because God has designed us in such a way that we give our affections over to someone or something. And so today we're living in really unusual times, but they're not unprecedented times because as I look at where our culture is today, we are very much or quickly becoming like the Roman Empire was just prior to the coming of Christ. As a matter of fact, the New York Times is profiling this movement and it's called fictosexuals. Now that's a new term to me. And uh, fictosexuals are people who consider themselves married to a fictional character. Uh, it might be a doll, it might be a character uh, in a video game or, or some similar person. So one person who is married to a doll wants us to know that this is going to increase because as artificial intelligence increases and robotics increases, uh, there's going to be more of these fictosexual marriages taking place, and and it's unbelievable when you think about it. Uh, In other news, uh, we also have learned that now that Google has really got into the whole language issue, Google has launched an inclusive language function. And what this function is, is is as you're typing into your computer or you're speaking uh, into your computer, this function will warn writers to avoid certain words, certain phrases that may not be inclusive to all of its readers. So, for example, it will prompt you to change the word mankind to humankind or the word policeman to police officer. So as you look at this, you can see that we're getting to all-inclusive language. And this is nothing new. I mean, this is uh, a fight that has been going on really since the beginning of time. And and so we are living in a day and age where we are are normalizing and including everybody, except for those who might disagree with this inclusion. And so we're living in a sexual revolution time, but it's not anything that just happened last week or last year or just a few years ago. As a matter of fact, the so-called sexual revolution could be dated back to 1953. Uh, That's when Hugh Hefner began popularizing and normalizing pornography. And then in 1983, uh, we discovered videotaping, and we discovered that you could put uh, on films pornography, and you could sell it out there, uh, not only into theaters, but you could get it into the private homes. And then in the late 1990s, uh, films began to be distributed on DVD. Now, today, tragically, uh, the internet has now made pornography an epidemic that is available to every cell phone in America. Uh, Well, meanwhile, at this time, uh, going back earlier to the 60s, uh, we discovered that birth controls were legalized in 1960, allowing couples to have sex outside of marriage 
without any fear of pregnancy. Henry, uh, I'm sorry, Helen uh, Guru Brown's 1962 book, Sex and the Single Girl, encouraged single women to be sexually active. That decade saw a rising movement protesting the Vietnam War and promoting rock music and the use of drugs and and the public displays of nudity and, and this complete freedom of sexual activity. And then in 1969, uh, we had what is called the Stonewall Riots. Now, I was only four years old uh, when this was taking place, uh, but this is kind of, uh, this movement, the, these riots, kind of was a galvanizing event in the movement for the LGBTQ rights. And, and so as we think about what is going on today, uh, the, the foundation was laid decades ago. You know, the next stage uh, that we found was the, the legalization of, of same-sex marriage. And uh, those of you who know me well know that I'm from Massachusetts. And uh, if you ever have the opportunity to go up to Boston, Boston is a fascinating uh, city. And if you ever have the opportunity to take the, uh, the, the tour uh, through Boston, uh, they actually have uh, several guided tours. One of the ways that you can kind of get a, a history of Boston is by taking a duck tour, and uh, that's where they, they put you on one of these amphibious vessels that can go on the road and, and into the water, and, and uh, they take you on this uh, vessel, and they take you down the Charles River, and, and as you're going about this, uh, this journey, uh, they give you all of the history of Boston, and they go by one particular church building, uh, where in 2004, uh, they, they, they will tell you that that's where the first same-sex marriage took place in the United States. That was uh, over a decade before it was legal to marry somebody of the same gender. And so as we think about where our, our culture is going, uh, you know, we, we will be stigmatized if we disagree with those who are going along with this sexual uh, revolution. They, they will consider us uh, homophobic. They will consider us prejudiced uh, in our thinking and, and uh, the fact that we are discriminating. Uh, and so when we think about all that is happening in our world today, in other headline news, uh, we're focusing on Elon Musk purchase of Twitter for, I think it was $44 billion. And, uh, and so here we see uh, maybe uh, we'll have some more freedom given to us if you are a Twitter user. Uh, but when you think about it, it's not the fact that we are lacking freedom of speech. Uh, what we're lacking is a heart that has been transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know, uh, Christ makes the difference in your world, uh, in your life, for not only now, but in all of eternity. And so you say, well, why did you give us all this information uh, by way of introduction? The way I, I look at this is that if you want to overcome the craziness that we're living in in this world, uh, yeah, you can curse the darkness. And I think we need to point out where our culture has gone astray. We need to provide solutions to how we can overcome uh, these areas, and we need to support uh, those in the political arena uh, that will stand up for truth and stand up for righteousness. But we also need to realize that we are living in dark times, and the way that we can survive and thrive during these very difficult times is that we are worshiping the God of the universe. Now, I want you to imagine, and and I wish I could show you a picture uh, of what I showed our church on Sunday, uh, but I have a painting, and and I want you to imagine uh, that you're rummaging through your attic, and uh, maybe the church is having a yard sale, like we're getting ready to have one here very soon, and 
you find this painting and you remember that this painting was given to you by your mother and it was given to her by her mother and it's become like a family heirloom and you've had it in your attic for a long time and you look at this painting and you're not sure what the worth of this painting is but you're looking at this painting and it looks like card flares gathered around a table uh, one guy in the background with his arms folded kind of overlooking the shoulder of the guy in the back as they're they're playing cards so so as you're cleaning up this attic you come across this painting and as you come across this painting, your husband says, well, why don't you go ahead and donate that to the church, right? Uh, maybe to get a few dollars for that at the yard sale. And as you look at this painting, you think, well, I don't really know the history of it. I don't really know what it's worth. I know it's been passed on to me uh, from generation to another generation. Uh, but it could be that you have one of the world's most expensive oil paintings that was sold. As a matter of fact, uh, this painting called The Card Players has a price tag. It was recently sold for $250 million, right? The royal family of Qatar uh, holds this secondary record as the second most expensive piece of art ever sold in world history up to this point. And so here you have this painting that is worth a fortune, but you don't realize how much it's worth. And you were about to give it away. As you think about our ability to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Maybe your faith has been passed on to you by your mother or your, your grandmother or, or your, your grandparents, and, and it's been passed on to you, and you just don't realize the worth of what you have. As I look at Psalm 95 today and tomorrow, I want to give you some things that will help you to worship and help you to understand the significance of this worship. We have been given a wonderful gift to worship. Now, the word worship comes from the, the Greek word, and it actually, or Latin word rather, that means worth-ship. It's something that we're giving our worth over to. We're giving our resources, we're giving our time and our energy, our affections, are given to something. And so I, I submit to you today that everybody is worshiping something. The question is not, are you worshiping? The question is, what are you worshiping? So let's look at Psalm 95, and uh, this is a call to worship written by David. It says, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Now, uh, this is kind of an all-inclusive call to worship. David is summoning his people, and he says, come, let's get, get together, let's worship, let's sing for joy to the Lord. And then he says, let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. And then he uses that phrase, let us again. Verse number two, let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. Now here David is identifying that our God is not a small letter G God, but he is the great Jehovah God, the great king of, God, of, of gods, the God of all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, he says in verse number four. Uh, the mountain peaks belong to him. Verse number five, the sea is he is his, for he made it. In his hands formed a dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker, for he is our God. And we are his people, the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did, hearts as you did in Meribah, and as they did in the day of Manasseh in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me, 
They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For forty years I was angry with them in that generation, and I said, They are a people whose hearts have gone astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on an oath in my anger, They shall never enter my rest. Well, today I want to give you four ways to worship. And why is worship so powerful? Why is it so meaningful in helping us to navigate through the crazy world that we're living in? Oh, I think worship reminds us that God is ultimately in control. Although it may look like things are going chaotic, nothing catches him by surprise. He is aware of exactly what is going on. And so because of that, we worship him. And the first point I want to drive home today is that we should have this delight as we worship him. In verses number one through five, David says, let us come with joy to the Lord. Well, you say, well, how do we show delight? How do we show the joy of the Lord? Well, it tells us to sing songs of joy. Uh, Sing it with uh, this exuberance, right? With thanksgiving and with music and with song. And I guess you could say you ought to worship kind of like you cheer for your favorite football team. And I want you to imagine there's two minutes left on the clock. It's the bottom of the fourth quarter, and your team is down. And all of a sudden, Tom Brady drops back about 10 paces and throws a Hail Mary pass right into the uh, end zone. And uh, that caught, uh, the, the pass is caught. And the receiver, uh, as he's catching that ball, falls out of bounds. But his, his two feet are planted just inside the end zone. And uh, and so the uh, opposing team, of course, they ask for a, an instant replay. They they question the call. They they challenge the call. Uh, but the umps, uh, the, the referees rather look it over. And they say, wait a that's a legitimate touchdown. And they come out after the review with two hands up in the air, indicating that your team in the last seconds of the game have just won the game. Now, what are you going to do? I don't know about you, but I'm coming off that chair uh, and I'm shouting with both hands up in the, or in the air because my team in the last seconds of the game have won. Imagine it's a Super Bowl and they have finally won. Now, we should be coming to church that same way. Now, I'm not talking about being disrespectful, but I'm talking about the fact that when we gather together, we ought to be filled with exuberance. Thanksgiving, singing with joy, music and song unto the Lord because our God rules. Our God reigns. You know, he delights in us. You say, well, that's how we do it, but why should we do it? Because our God is the God above all other gods. He is great, and he is greatly to be praised. His hands, the psalmist says, formed all that we see, and everything belongs to him. And so he loves it when we delight in him. You know, when Harry Truman became president, He worried about losing touch with the common everyday American. So oftentimes he would go out, and uh, it was simpler days back then. He would just go out and be among the people and uh, just walk around the people and just start talking with them. And and, uh, wherever he went, he'd just strike up a conversation. Well, one evening, Truman decided to take a walk down to the Memorial Bridge, the bridge that took you over the Potomac River. When he got close to that bridge, he was really curious about the mechanism that raised and lowered that bridge. He made his way across the catwalks and, and came down to the bridge tender, who was eating his evening supper out of a tin bucket. Uh, the man showed absolutely no surprise when he looked up and he saw the best-known and most powerful man in the world. He just continued eating his dinner. He swallowed his food, wiped up his mouth, and smiled, and he says, You know, Mr. President, I was just thinking about you. Well, according to Truman's biographer, 
It was a greeting that Truman adored and never forgot. You know, the Lord loves it. Well, we just say to him, you know, I was just thinking about you. And so think about that. Don't you love it when somebody says that of you? You, you, you say hello to them and say, man, I'm so glad you should. I was just thinking about you. Uh, or maybe I was just praying about you. Uh, what a compliment, right? Uh, we want our God to know that we're thinking about him. We think about him constantly. I tell you what, God has been so good to me. Uh, I can't get my mind off how good he's been to me. You know, just the other day I was driving and I had to take my son up to Connecticut and dropped him off and he was in a hospital for three weeks and we were going back to pick him up and and on the way up to Connecticut, as you know, you got to you got to go through that that dreaded New York City and uh, go over the George Washington Bridge. And every time I go over that bridge, is traffic. And uh, so sure enough, as we're going up there, there's traffic, bumper to bumper, and stop and go. And, and at least we didn't stop completely, right? We kept moving on ahead and uh, finally made it to the destination. Got caught up a little bit in traffic. And, and I, I, I prayed to say, now, Lord, on the way back, as I have Seth in the van with me, uh, would you allow us to have smooth sailing? And, uh, and and he doesn't do good if traffic stops, and I never know how I was going to behave if traffic stops. And, and once you know, just that little prayer, I got answered that prayer. Although we had trouble getting up there with traffic, coming home, I, I don't think we stopped completely one time. And, uh, you know, I was just thinking about how God has been good to me, how he has blessed me beyond my comprehension. You know, God blesses us many times. And we don't even know that he blesses us. We kind of just go on. And I think sometimes we wrongly get, wow, well, that's a coincidence that I made it through here, okay. I don't know. God, God was sovereignly protecting you. And so you ought to be giving your delight to the Lord because he delights in us. So the first point today is that we should delight in worship. Here's the second thing. David points out in verses 6 and 7, again, Psalm 95, that there should, should be a devotion of worship. You say, well, how do we show devotion? David answers that question. He says, we bow down, we kneel before the Lord, our maker. We are his sheep and the sheep of his pasture. So devotion is shown physically by kneeling down, bowing down before him, but also by following him. You know, John 10, 27, uh, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. And he says, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand, because my Father who has given them to me, he is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Now, now don't you love that? I can't even snatch myself out of my Father's hands. No man is greater than God, and he holds us securely. You know, I used to think it was my job to hang on to my salvation. I got to hang on to the end, right? Well, I can't hang on to the end because I didn't even start hanging on in the beginning. I want you to know that my salvation is secure. Your salvation is secure, not because you're so strong and can hang on to God, but because he is so strong and he hangs on to you. Isn't that amazing to think about that? That God holds on to us. Now, I don't know about you. That ought to give you loyalty uh, beyond reason, right? Uh, beyond uh, uh, any other reason why we ought to be devoted to Christ. You know, I think about marketing, and we are living in a day and age where uh, marketers have become real slick. Well, this guy by the name of Douglas Atkins noted that marketing is kind of a, a neat trade, right? 
because it is responsible for the design that we have, the packaging that we have in, in the promotion. And, and, and so he wanted to figure out how could he create uh, this desire for something, almost like you think about loyalty beyond reason, almost like a cult, right? And he says, how can I create a meaningful system for people through which they get identity and understanding of the world? And so he began studying marketers and discovered that marketers do something that he didn't really think they did. But he found out after he studied them, this is what they do. They actually create this cult-like devotion. And so he discovered how they did it. He says when they hear people like talking about paper plates or sneakers or any kind of product that they are really excited about, they use the word evangelize. That's a, that's a biblical term, right? Uh, That's a term that we use, but it's really not solely a biblical term. To evangelize means that you're going out because you're so devoted to something that you're telling somebody else about it. And we've seen people in this uh, category, right? I know some people that the only coffee they're going to drink is Starbucks, right? And then you have these tribes of like uh, different car enthusiasts, like VW owners, and 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 maybe you're a you're a Mac user, right? You can't understand why anybody would want to be an HP user, right? So the advertisers have figured out that if they can fill a void in your life, they have a customer for life. So they advertise in such a way that you can't live without this product. So the goal of such marketing and it's very secular to to do it, is to fill the empty places where no commercial institution like schools and churches are able to do. Now, this is amazing when you think about it. We have been sold a bill of goods. We are trying to put a square peg into a round hole, and it almost fits, but it doesn't quite fit. I want you to know, I am devoted to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because Jesus Christ has made a difference in my life. Listen, material things couldn't do that. Power, prestige couldn't do that. Those things are fleeting. Those things are short-lived. Now, as you listen to the message today, maybe you've devoted your life to the wrong thing. Maybe you've got your ladder leaning against the wall of something that you thought would bring success, and you got to the top of that ladder and it's left you empty. Listen, nobody can fill that void like Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ can fill that void. And he can take your life that is broken, without purpose, without meaning, a life that is filled with guilt and remorse, and he can take you and he can forgive you. That's why we are devoted to worship him. Our very existence depends on him. Well, I hope that you'll join me tomorrow because tomorrow I'm going to finish up this series on worship and the significance of worship. I want to encourage you tonight to read Psalm 95, and we're going to look at the second half of this psalm. The the second half of this uh, psalm, David says, don't harden your hearts as you did in Meribah. David goes back, and he uses what happened to the nation of Israel. Now, you may remember that story. God raises up a guy by the name of Moses. Moses' job is to go to Pharaoh and say to Pharaoh, let my people go. Now, Moses was reluctant. He didn't really want to do this. But after spending 40 years in the wilderness, God speaks to him through a burning bush, a bush that is on fire, but yet never consumes that bush. That is God speaking through that burning bush. and says, now, Moses, you're my man. So Moses finally goes and he confronts Pharaoh after 10 gnarly plagues. 
Pharaoh finally says, okay, you can have your freedom. Get out of here. Take your ragtag group of people and all of you leave. Then they come up to the Red Sea. They are given victory to pass through the Red Sea. Then they come up against Jericho. They defeat Jericho. And uh, God brings them a miraculous victory. But then they start complaining. They complain about the water being bitter. They complain about the fact that they, they have nothing to drink, nothing to eat. They're just complaining and, and they're chronically complaining. Well, God deals with them. And there's a separation that takes place. So join me tomorrow and you'll get the rest of the story and how that, that whole uprising at Meribah, how that reminded the people about how they should properly worship. So tomorrow we're going to talk about the duty of worship and then we'll finish it up with the derivative or the benefits of worship. So read Psalm 95 and then read Hebrews 3 and 4 because in Hebrews 3 and 4, Psalm 95 verses 7 through 11 is actually quoted five times. We're going to look at that in tomorrow's broadcast. Well, thank you so much for listening today. If I can help you, feel free to give me a call, 757-421-7500, 757-421-7500. I'd love to talk to you. Leave me a message if I'm not there at the church. God bless you. Be safe as you're driving today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.